Hello and welcome to the SureDog Radio Network preview for UFC on ESPN 21, or as they like to call it, UFC Vegas 22. I'm Ben Duffy of SureDog.com. With me, as always, is Keith Schillen. Keith is executive director of the Loudmouth MMA Podcast Network, as well as the SureDog Radio Network, where he is the creator and host of numerous shows, including MMA Past, Present, and Future, and of course, the Schillen and Duffy Show which you are listening to right now. Keith, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, brother. How are you doing, man? I'm doing really well. Right off the top, let's wish a happy birthday to Gregor Gillespie, who turns 34 uh, on this day, March 18th, as we record. We'll be talking about him uh, probably in about an hour and a half or so. But uh, hey, While we're throwing out happy birthdays, can I throw out to a happy birthday to someone who I know won't listen, but tomorrow, the love of my life's birthday, my wife. Happy birthday okay. to Mrs. Schillen. Hey, well, happy birthday indeed, Mrs. Schillen. Uh, Mrs. Duffy has no choice but to listen because she's sitting on the couch about five <laughs> feet away from me. But there I assure go. you that she's paying as little attention as possible. Yeah, that's so. like all our listeners. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes, the only people who pay close attention to our show are the uh, coaching staff at Anchorage BJJ. <laughs> <laughs> Not a whole lot to say about this one. It is headlined by a high-stakes contest in the middleweight division between uh, Derek Brunson and the uh, red-hot Kevin Holland. Uh, somebody's going to survive in advance, and whoever wins that one honestly may be no more than a, another fight or two away from a title shot. South of that, uh, some veterans, definitely lots of prospects. We have five UFC newcomers on this card. You and I were talking off air about this just before we started recording. Sounds as though our level of interest and excitement for these uh, prospects may vary a little bit. So it'll be interesting as, as we get to each of those, uh, you know, how we feel about that. It also features, I believe, the second married couple ever to fight on the same UFC card in the form of JP and Cheyenne Bays. Anything else you want to add before we dive right into the card, Keith? Uh, just... Going off again on placement, I always say like placement of bouts make no sense. I I don't understand why you know good prospect like Grant Dawson and and Leonardo Santos. You know she's he's forty one. Say what you want about him, but he's got a very good record in the UFC. Why that fight is on the prelims and like Max Griffin continues to get on on the main card though he's you know a B level UFC fighter at best. Uh, how. Harry Huntsucker's on the main card. You know, just just placement is always confusing. Always, yeah, always confusing. If there's a logic behind it, uh, I've no, I have not figured it out in almost 20 years of watching the UFC. But uh, that's okay because we're going to talk about all 12 of these fights uh, in what order, whatever order they they want to give them to us. Uh, right off the top, we have a matchup in the women's bantamweight division. A Battle of the Julias, as Julia Avila takes on Julia Stolyarenko. Avila, the 32-year-old, is 8-2 and two overall. She is 2-1 and one in the UFC. Uh, having fought most recently back in September and lost a unanimous decision to Sajari Eubanks, which snapped a four-fight winning streak for her. She'll be taking on Stolyarenko, the 27-year-old Lithuanian, is 9-4-2 and two overall. She is 0-2 in the UFC, uh, those losses being separated by almost two years, however, with a five-fight winning streak in between. 
Uh, her UFC return was last August. She lost a unanimous decision to Yana Kunitskaya. Right now, Avila, one of the higher favorites on the card. She is out there minus 360 to minus 370. Stolyarenko uh, available at minus three, or sorry, plus 310 or plus 315. Keith, I'm going to say that a, a lot of times when there are two fighters that are relatively, I mean, relatively unproven, relatively unproven at the UFC level, and the odds are this wide. I usually think they're an overreaction. I'm not sure that's the case in this case. I think Julia Avila should be a healthy, at least three to one favorite in this fight. And that's not, that's not all buy-in on Avila from my point of view, although I still am pretty high on her despite the loss to uh, Sajara Eubanks. It's just that I'm definitely not sold on Stolyarenko. I, I saw how Eubanks beat Avila, and that's just not something Julia Stolyarenko is going to do. Stolyarenko, I, I don't see her being able to uh, hit takedowns and control Avila and take advantage of Avila's overaggression. Stolyarenko, like, snatches quick arm bars, or she loses, generally speaking. And by the standards of the women's bantamweight division, she is a minus athlete. I just think this is a great matchup for Avila. Uh, Stolyarenko, unless Avila makes a bad mistake and gets into a scramble early on where Stolyarenko is able to, you know, grab a submission, I don't think Stolyarenko is going to be able to make Avila pay for her mistakes. I've got Avila in this one big. I won't call it a, a stoppage, but give me Avila by a lopsided uh, unanimous decision. Wow. Uh, yeah, you came you came out right out the gate like uh, dropping hammers, like making a very very confident pick. Uh, I mean, I understand it. Avila's got a lot of good skills. Um, first of all, that stands out. She's just a big uh, fighter for the weight class. She's a big man of weight. Uh, she's more of a brute than an athlete. I know you talked about Stol- uh, Stolyarenko being like a, a minus athlete. Uh, I don't think Avila's like a great athlete. I think she just um, I don't know. That, like I feel like she'd be good in like. Uh, like bench pressing and stuff like that should be strong or, or like, like, like not even like, I shouldn't say bench pressing, like strength that like picking up a keg or something like she just like, she's a brute. Uh, she's a high volume striker, good jab, throws combos, just kind of walks right through punches. And we saw that in pretty much every one of her fights. She hits hard. Uh, defensively, she keeps her chin too high, which is actually going to be, I, I think I mentioned chin too high a lot. That's going to be a big, big theme for this card. Uh, she'll toss in a quick high kick. I like her step in knees or step in elbows. She gets some clinch takedowns. However, she was taken down by Sajara Eubanks, where she was a big favorite in that fight, uh, and she struggled to get off bottom. Now, she was attacking with some submissions off the back, almost on two occasions caught Eubanks in a triangle, uh, but she only has one submission on a record, so I think that might have been more Eubanks, uh, you know, baiting her into those submissions or, or not really... Uh, worrying about the submission that they were close. Uh, moving on to Sterlingo. Sterlingo is also a big bantamweight. She is extremely aggressive on the feet. Uh, though she's, like you mentioned, she's not a great athlete. She's kind of flat-footed. She drops her hands, but she's unorthodox, has a herky-jerky style. But she throws hard. She throws wild. She's very hittable because she just runs aggressively into punches, which is would be funny considering both her and Avila are, are very aggressive on the feet. Uh, she does have power, though. 
Um, she'll throw in a quick high kick. She she loves a Superman punch to kind of close the distance. Her, her clinch striking's not bad. Her, I mean, her elbow in the clinch that she did to uh, Lisa Fervosa uh, is is a, one of the worst cuts I've ever seen. One of the bloodiest fights in MMA history, definitely in women's MMA history. Uh, though, as I used to think that was a strength of her, her last fight against Yana Kuniskaya, she got brutalized in the clinch. Uh, you mentioned it that she wants to get an armbar, and she'll get the fight to the ground any way possible. She'll jump to guard. She'll throw an Iminari roll. Uh, she is, as you mentioned, armbar specialist. She's got so many first round submissions. The other thing I like about her is that she has, you know, she's a former, you know, she's headline Invictus and stuff like that. She, you know, she's former Invictus champion. She'll go 25 minutes. I am not nearly as confident as you are. I think this is a tough fight to call. Avila is really good on the feet, uh, but she sh- showed some holes on the ground. Starlenko is tough on the feet because she's got such a weird style that you really can't train for. Uh, though she's not nearly as technical as Vila. However, she if she gets it to the fight to the ground, she can end it. And we're gonna go, we're gonna disagree right away. I'm gonna say that she does. Avila just really worried me after the last fight that she couldn't get up from bottom. I think Sterling gets it to the ground somehow, and I want to say that she does catch the armbar. So you you were going. I thought you were gonna lock in your lock of the night. I'm going the opposite right out the bat. I'm throwing my upset special Starlinko at plus three fifty. I say she gets it done. Oh man, well it's gonna it's gonna be a wild night on the preview. We can tell already. Next up in the men's flyweight division, the first of the aforementioned five debuting fighters on this card. And this one is not one of the short notice ones, but a gentleman who comes to the UFC through the time honored at this point uh, route of Dana White's contender series. That would be JP Bays. The 24 year old South African is nine and two overall. He won uh, choking out Jacob Silva. Uh, with a guillotine choke all the way to sleep back on the Contender Series in November. Waiting to welcome him to the Octagon will be Bruno Silva. The 31-year-old Pitbull Brothers product is 10-5-2 with one no contest. He is 0-2 in the UFC, uh, having lost to Tagir Ulambekov last October at UFC Fight Night Marais versus Sandhagen and to David Dvorak at UFC Fight Night Lee versus Oliveira uh, back in March of 2020. Odds on this one, nonetheless, fairly close. Uh, Bayes is out there as a minus 155 to minus 160 favorite. You can get Silva on the comeback around plus 140. Keith, who have you got in this one and why? Well, I, I like this matchup. I think this is a uh, a good matchup between two good flyweights. Um, I just love the division. Uh, I'll start with the newcomer, um, JP Baez. He's a contender series guy. Uh, he has two losses in his career. One of them was to Joby Sanchez on the contender series, which is not a bad loss at all. The other one was a DQ, which led to a post-fight brawl. Uh, and he actually, I think he avenged that loss too. Uh, he's very strong, classic wrestle boxer, nice pop in his strikes. Uh, can really box it up in the pocket. His hands aren't that fast, and he's got a little bit of defense flaws, keeps his chin high. I, I should probably hit, ring a bell every time I say that tonight. Uh, though I like that he hides a high kick behind his punch as well. Doesn't check any leg kicks because he's a, he's a wrestler, very heavy on his front foot. He is a, an elite 
level wrestler. I mean, this guy competed in the world championships. Going back to the J, uh, the Joby Sanchez fight, he suplexed Joby Sanchez on the contender series. Good in scrambles, though I'm surprised how often he's actually been taken down in the past for such a high-level wrestler. Uh, but if he gets on top, we saw in his last fight against Jacob Silva, good sh- top control, good top pressure, some solid ground and pound. Uh, the only other thing that if it's a real heavy uh, wrestling match, I, m- I might be a little worried about is his cardio. Uh, as he was beating Joby Sanchez and kind of gassed out and led to Joby Sanchez coming back. Moving over to Bruno Silva, lots of movement, fast hands, tight boxing, throws combos, decent pop. I, I go back to his David Dvorak fight. He almost knocked Dvorak out in a loss. Uh, a lot of calf kicks. Uh, he was hurt to the body by Dvorak, which uh, I don't like to see. Can sneak in takedowns of himself. He's got some good entries. He's a uh, Brazilian just a black belt, some slick back takes. Though he was out-wrestled in his last two fights where were losses to Ulbechtoff and Dvorak, and he slowed down late in the fight against Dvorak, which might have been the difference. I like Bruno Silva. Unfortunately, he is matched ag- again against a wrestler that could probably out-wrestle him. And this is the best wrestler he's faced, you know, since he's been in the UFC. So I expect Baez to get some takedowns, use some heavy top pressure, and I think he wins a decision in his UFC debut. Yeah, I I feel what you're, you're putting down here because I feel as though Silva is better than his record and his work in the UFC so far has made him look. But uh, JP Baez is the absolute worst guy to try to prove it against. Because even if uh, Silva gets out-wrestled badly in the early going, if if Bayes starts to, to fade, if his cardio starts to fade, Sil- Silva's cardio has really not been a strong point for him either. So I just don't see there being enough in the tank for him to, to take advantage, even if it gets to that point. Uh, I, I'm with you. I, I think uh, J.P. Bayes wins his UFC debut by decision. I'm not going to pick him to get the finish here, even though he is, I, I mean, he is a good finisher just because, you know, he's so aggressive on the ground once he gets people down there, both with ground and pound uh, and, you know, willing to grab submissions. I'm not picking it to happen here, but yeah, uh, based by decision. Next up on the UFC Vegas 22 prelims, it is a Bantamweight matchup between Montel Jackson and Jesse Strader. Jackson, the 28-year-old, is 9-2 overall. He is 3-2 in the UFC. He fought most recently last July at UFC Fight Night Figueredo versus Benavidez 2, where he lost a unanimous decision to Brett Johns that snapped a three-fight winning streak in the octagon for Jackson. He will be welcoming the newcomer, Strader. The 29-year-old Californian is 5-1 in his young mixed martial arts career. Uh, he is obviously 0-0 in the UFC, but he comes in on a two-fight winning streak. Uh, both of those fights, however, having taken place all the way back in 2019, it will have been uh, over a year and a half since he has appeared in any sort of ring or cage. As it stands, Jackson is the highest favorite on the card. He is minus 650 to minus 675, depending on where you look. Straighter, uh, plus 475. Uh, up close to plus 500 as the massive underdog. Jackson's nickname is Quick, and it is definitely true. Straders is sui generis, which means one of a kind or unique. I don't know whether that's true. Keith, 
Does he have any unique opportunities to pull off the massive upset here? Yeah, I mean, he has a u- unique opportunity to be, to be such a huge underdog and pull off an upset. I mean, I've already picked my upset special, so I'm not going to do it again. Uh, this is a little bit of a mismatch, and, and that's why the odds are saying the way it is. Jackson, Southpaw, he's very big for the weight class. I mean, he's got a 75-inch reach. They're going to talk about the size of his extra, extra large gloves. Um, fast hands, throws straight punches down the pipe, kind of developing some power. Uh, his last fight against Brett Johns, he, he hurt him in, the, in that fight. Uh, he's a good clinch fighter. I would say he's an underrated wrestler. Uh, he can get some takedowns from from entries, but he also likes like judo, sw- uh, you know, sw- foot sweeps. Uh, he's got good ground and pound. He will grab, you know, those big hands I'll mention. He'll grab an arm and then kind of control it and then slide an elbow. Uh, the issue though is, is while I said he's an underrated wrestler offensively, and I think he's actually pretty good defensively. In his two losses in the UFC, he's been arrested to Ricky Simone and Brett Johns. Now move that over to Strader. I, I only did you know a little bit of tape study on him. Uh, you know, pulled up some of his combate fights. His only loss was to uh, Rojo Marcel Rojo, who we just we just saw in the UFC. Uh, I think it was last week. He has a he fights behind a high guard. He's even though he fights behind a high guard, he's very hittable. He backs straight up, doesn't check leg kicks. Hands are kind of slow. Throws from his hips. He does throw combinations, and he's fun. Like it'll be. He'll be entertaining. Uh, he loves to go to the body. In fact, I, well, one, he dropped Rojo with a body shot. Didn't finish him, but actually dropped him. Obviously, didn't finish him. He lost him, but he, he, he hurt him to the body. But he targets the body more than he actually targets the head. It's, it's, it's pretty, pretty crazy. He's got some good power. I like his calf kicks. I am worried about his chin, though, as Rojo hurt him bad. He also uh, got beat up in the clinch by Rojo. Uh, he can wrestle a little bit, good entries, good top control, good ground and pound. But he's taking a big step up in competition, even from Rojo. But like the, the guys he's beaten in the UFC, like he beat this guy Michael Jackson, who had like a one in five record or something. Straight is in the UFC level. Jackson is better everywhere. I think Jackson is a good, you know, a good prospect in the in the division. I say he styles on him and then finishes him. You know what? I was I originally wrote down second round, but I'm going to go first round. I say Jackson takes him out in the first round. I love that you elaborated on Jackson's wrestling that way because as soon as you said that you thought Jackson's wrestling was a little underrated, my immediate response was, "Yeah, because like that's how he's taken his two losses in the UFC." So the image is stuck in your mind of you know Ricky Simone just kind of outlasting and out hustling him and using takedowns of Brett Johns coming back from getting hurt and controlling the fight with takedowns but yeah like Jackson's wrestling is actually pretty good uh if you're a 5 foot 10 bantamweight and you know your legs go up to your sternum you're always going to give up a takedown to to good wrestlers in your division but I don't think it's a particularly weak point for him everything you said about Jackson's striking is is dead on Jesse Strader, there are some bantamweights in the UFC that he can beat, but this is about as bad of a matchup as I can think of for him because everything he's going to want to do, the way he's shown himself able to to win fights at the at the combate level is just going to feed right into Jackson's strengths. Uh, yeah, th- this is going to be time on the gunnery range for Strader. I could certainly see him getting finished in the first round, but 
I'm gonna say Jackson is just gonna have the slight bit of caution of taking on such an unknown quantity as such a high favorite and just and not wanting to get uh not wanting to to like open the door to the huge upset. So I'm gonna say that Strader makes it to the second round, but give me Montel Jackson by second round TKO. With that, we come to a middleweight matchup between Trev and Giles and Roman DeLeeds. Giles, the 28-year-old Houston native, is 13 and 2 overall. He is 4 and 2 in the UFC. He is on a two-fight win streak, having taken a split decision over ultra, ultra short notice James Krause back at UFC 247 last February, then knocking uh, Bevon Lewis out in brutal fashion at US, uh, UFC on ESPN 17 in November. He will be welcoming the leads, not to the UFC, but at least to the middleweight division. The 32-year-old Georgian is 8-0 overall. He is 2-0 in the UFC, kind of came out of nowhere in the middle of last year. He had not fought since 2018, showed up in the UFC in uh, July of last year and knocked out Kadis Abragimov at UFC Fight Night, Figueredo versus Benavidez 2, then took a split decision over John Alan at UFC on ESPN 19 last December. The leads, uh, despite being new to the division, is the slight favorite over Giles. He is out there around minus 140. Uh, Giles available at plus 115 or plus 120 as the slight underdog. I have got to say that I'm surprised that the leads is doing this. And furthermore, I'm, I'm surprised that he is a bit of a favorite. Delides, if you don't remember or if you haven't seen him, he is a yoked guy at one at, at 205. At 205, he looked like a guy who probably had to cut a lot of weight. He is a physical specimen. His upper body in particular, uh, just he is a heavily muscled guy. Just big chest, big shoulders, big arms. Uh, I didn't expect much of them when he debuted against Abragamov. I, I mean, I expected that he might beat Abragamov just because Kadis Abragamov was not one of the best uh, light heavyweights we've seen in the UFC. Like he was, I believe he was on both of our cut list after that fight because that was like his fourth straight loss. But the leads, there is something about him that reminds me of Ovin St. Prue. And it's not the exact techniques that they use, but, but it's that if you ask me what it looks like when Ovin St. Prue fights, I'm just stuck. I've seen the guy fight 15 times and I'm like, he kind of just stands around there and moves his hands around and then he'll like throw like a high kick and then all of a sudden there's a scramble and he's throwing a shoulder choke on a guy. He just has this kind of disjointed set of skills that they don't really coalesce into uh, in, into like any sort of coherent game, but he still manages to, to beat a lot of people. That's what I feel like. I, I've seen Romano the Leeds fight twice now and I couldn't describe his game to you. I can tell you like what techniques he used and how he finished Ibrahimov, but I couldn't say what his game looks like. I can't wait for you to tell me what his game looks like because you have a better eye for it than I do. In comparison, Giles is much more of a known quantity. Uh, he is a sharp boxer with good power, uh, good power in his hands. He has uh, good kicks. He is a more than serviceable offensive wrestler when he feels like it. I'd say he's an average defensive wrestler. He can be taken down. Just I don't know that I have 
faith in deletes to make 185 and have anything to offer here. And until I see it, I get I guess I'm not gonna believe it. So I deletes has never lost before. I'm not gonna pick him to just like come out and get knocked out flat, but give me Trevin Giles, give me Trevin Giles by decision, probably uh, you know, pulling ahead in the later rounds just as he outlasts and exhausted deletes. What a homer. Obviously you picked the guy from Houston. Uh, oh, but are you going to pick against the cop? Yeah. See, this is the only <laughs> fighter in the world that we agree on. Like the Venn diagram intersects Trevin Giles, That's the right. Houston cop. Like we, we, we both got to like him. Yeah. If we ever need a third host, Trevin Giles is our pick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll break down his style. I think you broke down Trevin pretty well. Uh, he, he uses a lot of movement. I think his last fight against Bevin Lewis was one of his best performances of his career. Kind of seeing a guy who's progressing. Fast hands, nice power, a uh, lot of kicks. His jab is his everything. He's got a stinging jab. He throws like an up jab, similar to the way Floyd Mayweather shows it. And that's because he keeps it down by his side. Uh, he can hurt you with the jab. I mean, he drops Bevin Lewis with the jab. Uh, Dominic Cruz pointed out, though, that he can be, you know, he can have some low output, not be that aggressive. Uh, he can kind of look for the perfect punch. He keeps his hands low, which hurts, you know, which hurts you defensively, but helps him in his jab because, like I said, he throws an up jab and he comes from a little different angle. Uh, he's physically strong. Uh, he's willing to just push against the fence, grind against the fence, slow you down that way. Uh, has okay entries. I wouldn't say he's a great wrestler, but uh, he can get the fight to the ground. Though he doesn't look to wrestle often, he did show some improving defense as you uh, against Bevin Lewis. Is you know he tried to close the distance a couple times. Uh, though sub defense is still a little worrisome to me as he was you know he was caught in back to back fights and in, in guillotine chokes. Movo to let's see. He's simply not as good as his record would suggest. I said that last time we broke down film of him. Uh, uses a lot of feints though he's kind of slow because he's not that he's not a fluid athlete. He's a little stiff. Throws one strike at a time. He commits the overhand right way too much. I actually think his, even though he he throws the overhand right, I think his check left hook is his best punch. He does have power, as you mentioned. He's he's absolutely yoked <laughs> out, of, out of your mind. Uh, but he loads up on everything, which is a slower down. Uh, kicks are good though. His kicks are quick. Uh, he does check leg kicks, so I like that. He's a solid wrestler. He's a legitimate submission threat if he can get the fight to the ground. Uh, he did in his last fight. So there was a little bit of pair, but he was kind of abandoning in his wrestling. He did not do that in his last fight. You're a homer for picking Trevin Giles because he's from Houston. Well, I'm a homer because I'm picking him because he's a police officer. So that's it. <laughs> I say he pieces him up and he wins a fight. Uh, this is this is a close. This is not one of the best fights on the card. Uh, but I'm not going against my fellow police officer. So give me Trevor Giles by decision. Bonus question. Does, does Roman Delize make weight tomorrow morning? You know what? We've had a fairly uneventful week. I mean, we did have Johnny Eduardo fight get canceled because Johnny Eduardo is never going to fight in the UFC again. He's been out for like five years. <laughs> and then, uh, we got Harry Hunsucker on the card because we need Harry Hunsucker on the card. But other than that, it's been pretty uneventful. So I will say no, he doesn't. And he's taking it on short notice, too. 
Yeah, I mean, maybe he's getting an arm like amputated right now. I who who knows, but I, I'm I'm with you. Or he looks ghastly and ghoulish when he gets up there. You know, is always possible as well. But yeah, I guess we'll it, see. It, it's not often where Trevin Giles is the guy coming into the fight and not being the ripped one. Yeah, yeah. because I mean, he's he's a big dude. Have, but yeah. 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 Next up, it is a lightweight matchup that stands out for if it is possible to quietly go on an impressive winning streak in the toughest division in the sport. These are two gentlemen showing the way to do it. It is Grant Dawson and Leonardo Santos. Dawson, the 27-year-old Nebraskan, is 16-1 and overall. He is a perfect 4-0 in the UFC since joining off of the first season of Dana White's Contender Series. Most recently, he fought uh, Nad Naramani at UFC Fight Night Figueredo versus Benavidez 2, winning uh, by unanimous decision. Before that, he choked out Derek Minner in what I believe was a 150-pound catchweight bout back last uh, February. He'll be taking on the aged or ageless Santos, the oldest, no, not the oldest fighter on the card, the oldest man on the card. Santos, the 41-year-old Brazilian, is 18-3-1 overall. He is 7-0-1 in the UFC. He is on a six-fight winning streak in the UFC lightweight division, and if you didn't know that off the top of your head, it is because it has taken him seven years to rack up those six wins. He fought most recently, last July, uh, taking a unanimous decision over Roman Bogatov at UFC 251. Before that, he last appeared in June of 2019, knocking out uh, Stephen Ray at UFC Fight Night Gustafson versus Smith. Before that, he had been off for almost three full years. But he is back. He is looking as good as ever. And again, this is... About as quiet and unorthodox a matchup as you can get between two guys that are a combined 11-0-1 in the UFC. Keith, we were talking just a bit uh, in between segments here. Santos, I mean, he's doing great anyway, but he's a bit of a what-might-have-been story. When he went on that three-year hiatus, that was off of a three-fight winning streak that included Anthony Rocco Martin, Kevin Lee, and Adriano Martins. I, he he had to have been on the cusp of the top ten just at that point. If you if you stuck together the winning streak he's on right now and had just done it in a timely fashion, like at least fighting twice per year, he would be a ten, top ten fighter right now. Yeah, you might. I think you're right. I mean, a win over Kevin Lee is fantastic, even though it was a long time ago. That's still a really good win. Yes, because that's something that people still don't do do to Kevin Lee. No, you know? ask, ask the guy in the co-main event, <laughs> you know, how frightened Kevin Lee goes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll, we'll get to that one for sure. Yeah. Uh, the the thing that I see when I look at this is I'm I'm impressed with Dawson, obviously. For a, a guy that came in, I mean, he, he had a really good record. He looked good on the Contender Series. But, I mean, he, he was kind of a tweener. He seemed to be deciding early on whether he wanted to be a featherweight or a lightweight. He's not fought anyone as good as Leonardo Santos. Leonardo Santos has fought almost exclusively people that are at least as good as Grant Dawson. I, I think the the difference in 
not overall experience because they honestly have about the same number of fights and Dawson has been far more uh far more active but the diff like the difference in amount of high level competition they fought I think that's going to be kind of telling I think this is going to be uh a big test for Dawson. I'm kind of surprised that he's coming into this as a two to one or better favorite. He's out there around minus two ten right now. Santos plus one seventy five plus one eighty. Uh, talk me down off the ledge. Does the does the oldest and most unlikely fringe contender in the UFC lightweight division get it done again? Uh, I mean, it's very very possible that he gets it done. Like I, I'm with you. I think this fight should be extremely close. Should be a, a pickup fight. I I could. Other than maybe the co-main event, this is the the matchup that's intriguing me the most. Uh, I'll start with Dawson. Dawson does some. Uh, to me, he's done some really good things, but he also has. He he's learning. He's learning on the job. His boxing still needs a lot of work. His hands, if I'm being honest, are kind of slow. He throws arm punches. He so doesn't really pack too much power. He stands up really high. He really overreacts when he gets hit, or he doesn't keep his legs. Like he'll get hit and like spin. Or kind of flail a little bit, he, he, uh, but that was like some of the negatives. Like some of the positives is he really uses his lower body well in uh, offensively. Step in knees, throws a lot of kicks, body kicks. You look at his last fight against Nan Aramani, he was destroying Aramani's legs with calf kicks. He's a good wrestler, got some good timing on his entries, great hip hip control. Like when it, when a scramble uh, ensues, he'll a lot of times, control the hip, kind of keep his body, you know, higher than his opponent, keep his head higher than his opponent. He also is good when he's on top, like heavy pressure, advances position, good back takes. Now, moving on to Santos, I think his striking is pretty solid. He's got a long jab. I really like his slip and rip right hand style. Uh, I would say very deceiving power. I mean. He knocked out Kevin Lee. He knocked brutally knocked out Stevie Ray. I mean, his the, the knockout of Stevie Ray is, is is beautiful. There's a fade back right hand that connected. He does keep his chin a little high, back straight up, but he throws a lot of kicks. And the reason why he throws so many kicks is because he baits you into trying to take him down. Because if you take him down, you're going against a four time world champion in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, who's you know, half his victories are by submission. And if you don't take him down, he can sneak in and take down himself. So, you know what? I'm going upset again. I think Santos has the advantage in the boxing, and I know he has the advantage in the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So, shout out to, you know, former Loudmouth MMA host Craig Allen, who always was talking up Leandro Santos. I say Santos catches him in the second round, and you know what? I haven't done this in a long time. But I've taken an upset as my lock. I, I, I'm going bald. I'm going to say the old man does it once again. So give me Santos. I'm taking that one to the bank. Outstanding. All right. I'm with you on the uh, the upset. I mean, you might have felt that I was slightly building towards that as I like introduced the the, the two fighters. I, I'm with you. I think he's. I, I think he is a a just a smoother striker than Dawson and probably even has more raw power, even though Dawson has good power when he lands just because he throws hard. But yeah, I, I'm with you. I think he's going to hurt him on the feet. 
Dawson reacts like a wrestler, he's going to want to take him down. And if he does, especially if he's dinged up or compromised at all, that's not a good place to be. Uh, give me Santos. And I'm going to uh, be a little different from you just by saying third round submission. But yeah, I, I've got uh, Santos in the upset here. The The old man is not quite done yet. And yeah, I mean, w- what a story if this guy starts flirting with the rankings in his 40s because this is not a division where fighters typically age well. I mean, name me the top lightweight like over 40 ever. It's just not happened. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) That brings us to what I believe is the feature prelim of UFC on ESPN 21 in the women's bantamweight division. It is Macy Chasson versus Marion Renault. Renault is the oldest fighter on this card. She is also, I believe the oldest woman ever to fight in the UFC at this point, a record that she breaks every time she fights again. The 43 year old uh, Belizean by way of California is nine, six and one overall. She is five, five and one in the UFC. She is currently riding a three fight losing streak, but those are against three of the best in the division in Kat Zingano, Yana Kunitskaya, and most recently Raquel Pennington, uh, to whom she lost a unanimous decision at UFC on ESPN 11 back in June. She'll be taking on Chasson, the 29 year old Louisiana native, is six and one overall. She is four and one in the UFC since joining through the all-female 28th season of The Ultimate Fighter. She fought most recently at UFC Fight Night Anderson versus Blahovich 2 back uh, just a little over a year ago, taking a unanimous decision over Shanna Young that uh, allowed her to bounce back from the first loss of her career, which was against Lena Landsberg all the way back at UFC Fight Night Hermanson versus Cannoneer in September of 2019. Chasson is out there around a two-to-one favorite. She is minus 200. You can get Renault at plus 170 or plus 175 as the underdog. Uh, Obviously, Marion Renault, even though she's on a three-fight losing streak, she's been competitive each time out. And it really is just kind of stunning how, how ageless she feels in there i mean obviously she is she is a physical specimen as someone who is in my 40s myself and you might charitably say that i have slipped a bit from my athletic prime it puts me to shame to see the shape this woman is in uh i mean she is still a plus athlete by the standards of this division which is shocking like she's she is strong she is quick she she you know has a very fluid movement her gas tank is at least not a minus you know, like against, you know, Pennington, Kunitskaya, and Zingano, all three of whom were, were top 10 uh, Bantamweights when she fought them. None of them beat her because they just wore her out and she was exhausted. Like, that's not what it's been. She, re- she still has one of the most well-rounded skill sets in the division. I believe she was a striker by preference way back when her career first started, but she has become somebody who is good in all phases. She's a good offensive wrestler. Uh, good defensive wrestler, uh, 
definitely an opportun opportunistic submission artist. Shaston, there are certain broad parallels that I see between her and uh, Megan Anderson. Like her sheer just size and physicality. I've seen her listed at 5'9". I've seen her listed at 5'11". I've never been next to her with a tape measure, but she's closer to 5'11". She is a physically imposing woman. I don't know how she continues to make the Bantamweight limit. Yeah, I think she might quietly be hoping that Megan Anderson is wrong and the featherweight division isn't going away. Because as she gets ready to pass age 30, I don't know how long it's going to be reasonable to expect her to make 135 pounds. But she also reminds me of Megan Anderson in that when you are that tall and, you know, like built that way, defensive wrestling will always be a bit of a liability. But uh, what I like about Chasson's game is she's she's embraced a, a willingness to become more of an offensive wrestler. Like her win over uh, Panny Kianzad was kind of an eye opener to me because I expected Kianzad to uh, be the better wrestler and then to have the advantage once they got to the ground. And instead, it was Chasson who was able to get takedowns late and, and choke her out. I know Macy Chasson is a strong favorite here, and there's always the chance that this will be the fight where Renault just goes off a cliff athletically, just age finally catches up with her. But I'm not picking this to be that fight. I think Chasson will will hurt her on the feet. Uh, Chasson is definitely dangerous uh, in the clinch. But I expect Renault to be able to to survive, to wear Chasson down, and she'll be the fresher woman in the third round. And give me Renault by third round. It could be a TKO or submission, but it's going to take place on the ground. I'm going to say submission. Give me Marion Renault by third round submission. Uh, this is my upset pick of the night. I feel pretty strongly about it. Uh, tell me, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm crazy, Keith. Well, I don't think you're crazy. So we actually broke this fight down. They were supposed to fight, uh, I think maybe a month or so ago. I actually don't remember what happened. I think probably something happened with COVID or something. I just, I haven't even looked at this fight since. I just copied my notes from last time and kind of forgot about this fight. Uh, so I'm strictly going off my notes from last time. Uh, Shasan, as we mentioned, as you mentioned, humongous Bantamweight. Uh, if she moved up to featherweight, she'd probably be the number one contender already. Uh, obviously, big reach, a long arm, long legs. She has like big, you know, tall man's power, tall woman's power. Uh, she has a solid chin, considering she has a lot of defensive holes. For example, she doesn't really move her head. Uh, Shayna Young, of all people, were really teeing off on in, their f in the first round of their fight. She's very hittable. Uh, I wrote that she reminds me of a woman's version of Tim Means. While she's long and lengthy, she prefers the clinch. Like She likes using that tall man's clinch. Uh, and I'm not trying to be sexist when I say tall man. It's just an expression. Um, She's strong in the clinch, dirty boxing, elbows in close, knees are very brutal. Uh, she also will like drape over her opponents. What I mean, like put you against the cage and just kind of like lean on them and try to get them to carry her weight to wear them down. Her takedown defense is weak. I mean, she, she was taken down often and gassed out against Lena Landsberg. Her cardio looked better against Shana Young, especially in the clinch, where she. You know, she landed some really good knees and, and punches. Now, move over to Renault. As you mentioned, I think she's 43, 44. She's, she's way up there in age. She could fall off a cliff overnight. So everything I say about her, I don't say with, 
much confidence with a, you know, well, I have confidence in the bad. If I say something bad about her, it's chances are she hasn't improved it. If I say something positive about it, like that could be gone overnight. Uh, as far as striking, mostly a boxer. She really steps in her shot, steps in her shots, gets some good snap on her shots, good head movement, has a slip and rips counter striking style. Her dipping left hook is her best strike, uh, though she really struggled in the clinch against Yana Kuniskaya, against Raquel Pennington. She can sneak in a takedown, but she isn't a technically sound grappler, though she is a submission threat. If she can get it there, she can find a sub both on top or for back. You picked this as an upset. I'm not going to pick the upset, but I agree that this line is much closer than the line suggests. I really also wanted to pick Renault. Uh, she's more technically sound striker. She's the better grappler. However, the clinch was an issue. And I just I can't get past that. I think that's where Shasan can have a lot of ability. If Shasan's smart, she'll get it there. I think it's going to be a close match no matter what. So give me uh, Macy Shasan. I'll take by split decision. The UFC Vegas 22 main card kicks off with the obligatory heavyweight slobber knocker as Tai Tuivasa welcomes short notice opponent Harry Hunsucker to the UFC. Tuivasa, the 28 year old Australian, is 10 and 3 overall. He is 4 and 3 since joining the UFC back in 2017. He won his first three fights in uh, the UFC then lost three straight against Junior Dos Santos, Blago Ivanov, and Sergey Spivak. He bounced back from that three-fight losing streak by knocking Stefan Struve back into retirement at UFC 254 last October. He faces Hunsucker, who just was added to the card within the last 48 hours. Uh, Hunsucker, the 32-year-old Kentucky native, is 7-3 and three overall. He appeared on Dana White's Contender Series last November, where he was knocked out in the first round by Jared Vandera. He bounced back from that with a first-round knockout of Corey Moon at Hard Rock MMA just a couple weeks ago. As you might expect, uh, odds are pretty heavily in favor of Tuivasa here, and they are also all over the place as this is a short-notice matchup, and at least one of the fighters is not much of a known quantity. But Tuivasa, you can get him as good as minus 350. Hunsucker is also available at around plus 350 at the moment, if you like him as the underdog. Uh, Tai Tuivasa, Keith, uh, he has some work to do. I actually featured him in my column that drops uh, on Wednesdays of Fight Week about fighters that are under additional pressure to perform than just the straight W or the L. There's like some reason the fight's more important. This fight is important for Tuivasa because while he's been just kind of bouncing around and, you know, he's been a fun fighter to watch and drinking beer out of shoes, a bunch of heavyweights under 30 have come into the UFC and actually started stringing wins together. Surreal Gone is the most obvious example, but, you know, Tom Aspinall, uh, Chris Dawkins. Uh, Sergey Spivak, who actually beat Tuivasa, you know, just over a year ago, all of a sudden, the UFC heavyweight division that's been just an old folks home for what feels like forever, it is undergoing, I think, its biggest youth movement in almost 20 years. Like the the last time the division was was this full of kind of up and coming young fighters, we were talking about like Rico Rodriguez, Josh yeah. Barnett, and Frank Mir. 
Yeah. Well, hell, we were talking about Andre Arlovsky, and Ar and Arlovsky's like 42 now. Uh, yeah. If Tui Vasa, like Tui Vasa, he'll probably stick around the UFC for a while, but if he wants to be more than the funny dude that drinks beer out of a shoe, it's go time, and he needs to blow away Harry Hunsucker. Does he get it done? Well, first of all, I want to point out, that was a really good point you mentioned about, you know, when we talk about young heavyweights, he's not the one that people are getting excited about. Um, I do want to say this. I don't think Tai Tuivasa should be a massive favorite against anybody in the UFC, including Harry Hansager. Like, he should be a favorite in this fight. I'm going to pick him to win. But he sh shouldn't be as big of a favorite as he is until, I've see until I see some huge improvements in his wrestling. Um, he wings punches, but despite winging punches... He has good hand speed, decent pop, throws everything hard. Uh, he's really been focused on some calf kicks. He's been working on his wrestling, uh, American Kickboxing Academy. Uh, he did stop some takedowns against Stefan Struve. Though I'm still going to assume until I see more that he's an awful wrestler. Sergey Spivak, as you mentioned, headlocked him, <laughs> of all things, threw him. Uh, and he struggled to get up. Now move over to Harry Hunsucker. He's a contender series uh, guy. If we recall, he got a very short notice fight on the contender series, and it's kind of happened again to him. So I kind of feel for him a little bit when he gets his opportunities, not getting much of a notice. He's aggressive. He sits on his punches, uh, though he does keep his chin high in the air. He will throw some push kicks, some low leg kicks. I haven't seen much from him on the ground. Uh, he... Also, like he started against Jared Vanderen, just a little, uh, I don't know how long that fight went, but it was very short. He will gas out early. <laughs> I've seen him gas out uh, in some regional fights against guys who aren't that good. When I did my contender series preview, I mentioned about the low level competition he's fought. I mean, I'm talking about low level guys, big fat guys. I, I compared it to guys that make Butterbean look like Sage Northcutt, like that kind of. <laughs> Uh, he and he isn't a great athlete himself, and he's kind of just fat himself. Um, and mind you, I'm saying this as a 39 year old guy who could lose some pounds myself. So before someone mentions that, <laughs> I, I'll admit it. Um, just when I thought we couldn't get worse than Tai Tuivasa versus Dante Mays, we get Tai Tuivasa versus Harry Hunsucker, who uh, lost to Dante Mays. Who lost to Dante Mays. Um, I say Tuivasa catches him in the chin. I say he, he deals with, with that pressure that you're throwing out on him. I say he touch, catches the chin and knocks him out in the first round. So give me Tai Tuivasa with back-to-back first-round knockouts. Yeah. The nice thing about Hunsucker is he fought three weeks ago, and you can see it on YouTube. So I've got like just a fresh, hot, sizzling scouting report on the 45 seconds of work he put in in knocking out uh, Corey Moon. You're right about, I mean, he throws some some good, hard uh, low kicks. I mean, it was the low kicks that really won him the fight. Like he he knocked out Moon with punches, but it's because Moon was like tottering all over the place on on a busted leg uh, by, the, by the time. Like he went down from punches, but went down and immediately started grabbing his leg. So... Uh, Unfortunately, the way Hunsucker threw those, I think any decent UFC heavyweight would just counter him with a punch and put him on his ass. Uh, I think Tuivasa might be able to do that. I, I've, you know, I talked about kind of the, the pressure that Tuivasa is under if he wants to become more than just, you know, an opponent for the rest of, of this crop of young heavyweights. But it is encouraging 
that he seems to be uh, taking his training more seriously. I remember being on a podcast. I was guesting on, you know, a non-Sure Dog podcast after the <laughs> Blagway Ivanov fight. So it was even before First of all, how dare you? Hold on. I got to stop that. How dare you? Oh, don't don't even like if you're okay, listening to this on. and you have a podcast, I will guest. I, I, just, I love guesting on podcasts. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just joking. Carry on. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I definitely can't write for any other sites, but but I, I will talk your ear off if you want to have me on. But I remember one of us asked after the Ivanov loss, and this was even before the Spivak loss that was even worse. And the question was, do you think Taito Ivasa trains like full stop? That was the question. And we talked about it for a minute. There is something about Tuivasa that makes me think of Mark Hunt. And I'm not saying that he's Mark Hunt. I'm not saying he's the next Mark Hunt. He's not the poor man's Mark Hunt. He is not the homeless man's Mark Hunt. So get out of the comment section right now. But I'm just saying, in terms of being that kind of uh, Polynesian guy, that he looks, I mean, he just kind of looks like a big, heavy dude. But he's light on his feet. You mentioned he has fast hands. There's just a certain athleticism to him. Uh, unfortunately, he does not have the world-class kickboxing background of a Mark Hunt. And even more importantly, he does not have just the kind of weirdly impressive instincts on the ground of a Mark Hunt. Because Mark Hunt was the original, you know, Derek Lewis, where it's just like, eh, jiu-jitsu doesn't work on me, I'm just going to get up. You know, I'm going to bench press you and, and just kind of stand up. Tuivasa doesn't have any of that. But I have to imagine that the time he's spending at AKA, or the time he has spent there, will at the very least help him shore up his defensive wrestling. Like, uh, how long could you stand to have Daniel Cormier styling on you before you're like, okay, I, I need to work on this. Harry Hunsucker, I mean, he. Th there are UFC-level heavyweights he could beat, I'm sure, but Tui Vas is not one of them. I'm not super confident in this pick, uh, but I am going to say Tui Vasa by first-round knockout, and God help us all if this thing goes past the first round. But yeah, I, I've got Tuivasa by first round knockout. He does survive. He does advance, and he takes one more step, you know, towards being not just another guy in this heavyweight division. The main card continues onward with a welterweight tilt between Max Griffin and Kinan Song. Griffin, the 35-year-old Californian, is 16 and eight overall. He is four and six in the UFC. He fought most recently at UFC on ESPN, uh, Santos versus Teixeira, back in November, defeating Ramiz Brahimaj by gruesome, ear-destroying... I don't even want to talk about it, because it will make me a little ill. That snapped a two-fight uh, losing streak for Griffin, however. He'll be taking on Song. The 31-year-old uh, Chinese fighter is 16-5 and five overall. He is 4-1 and one in the UFC with uh, wins over Callan Potter last February and Derek Krantz in August of 2019, representing a bounce back from his uh, first UFC loss at the hands of Alex Morono all the way back in 2018. Uh, despite the disparity in their records, uh, Griffin is a comfortable favorite in this fight. He is out there at minus 200, uh, while Song is available at plus 175 as the underdog. Keith, is this the uh, token action fight of the card that it seems to be made out to be? And who do you got? 
Yeah, it definitely is that. For some reason, uh, Max Griffin always finds himself on main cards. I remember he was on a main card of a pay-per-view once, race, fairly recently. I think it might have been his last fight, too, or, or two fights ago. Uh, I think a lot of it actually has to do with Song being Chinese, like trying to, you know, that's like still a market that they're really trying to get a foothold in. Uh, so as far as the actually matchup who wins, uh, tough call. This is actually one of the, to me, I think is one of the most competitive matchups there is. I'll start with Griffin. He's well-rounded despite having a losing record in the UFC. Uh, he's not a great athlete, but he's pretty technically sound. Uh, he's a pressure striker, fights behind you know, high guard defense. I would say tight striking, works behind a jab. His straight right is his best punch. Headhunts a little bit too much. Does lack true one punch power. He does have stinging power. He can take you out, but he, you know, he's not gonna. It, it's unlikely for him to have like a walk off, one punch Mark Hunt type crushing knockout. Uh, he will mix in takedowns, and he'll get a lot of takedowns. Though he's not a wrestler, I want to point that out. Uh, the NCAA wrestling tournament is going on right now. Max Griffin would not do well in it. He's he's not a wrestler. Uh, though he does have good cardio, and he has just like a toughness. Like as the fight gets hard, he won't um, he won't cower. He won't find like he's mentally strong, where he can battle through some some matches. Uh, move on to Song. Song's big for the weight class. That stands out to me. Solid boxing. Uh, he's a power puncher. Straight right hand is I would say is his money punch. His left hook is pretty good too. Throws lots of kicks. So throw occasional spinning attack. Some defensive holes. Lacks head movement. Is, is one of them that stands out to me. He's very physically strong, though. Uh, though, I, I don't know how I feel about his grappling yet. Like, he defends takedowns by look for guillotines. He he let Derek Krantz not only get in on his hips, he let Derek Krantz pick him up and slam him. That's not a good look. And Derek Krantz actually almost submitted himself with a guillotine. Uh when he was taken down, he does get up pretty well. He doesn't stay on the bottom. And his cardio was similar to Max Griffin. I'm impressed. Like It was a close fight against Derek Krantz, and he pushed hard in the third round to get on the win. This is a tough, like I mentioned, this is a tough fight to pick. Song is younger, but he's taken, up, taken a step up in competition. And I seem to always get Max Griffin fights wrong. Uh, I'm going to go with Max Griffin this time. I think he's just got to outwork him in a really close, one like maybe a highly debated fight. And I say Griffin wins a split decision. I'm with you in this one being a tough one to pick. Uh, Song is, you know, I mean, he's four and one in the UFC, but part of that is the result of very Chinese fighter in the UFC matchmaking, where they do try to find ways to justify keeping them on uh you know to to justify keeping them on uh, on roster whereas griffin is i mean he, he's fought tough competition right from pretty much right from the jump uh you know and the funny thing is like song himself is a very physically strong guy but he like it, it feels as though he gets out muscled by guys that aren't as strong as him. And I'm not, I'm not sure how to, I'm not sure how even to quantify or, or explain that. I do think uh, Griffin wins this one. I like your classification of Griffin as someone who gets a lot of takedowns despite not being a great wrestler. Like there needs to be a name for that because there are, there are several fighters I can think of who kind of match that description that 
they get takedowns and they seem to be able to get the fight to the ground when they want or need to in surprising ways a lot of the time without being like just a conventional wrestler. I don't know if this uh, will live up to the amount of action that they're implying by putting it on the main card, despite it having a guy who's sub 500 in the UFC on it. But I do like uh, Griffin to win this one. And honestly, I, I do think he wins it by kind of uh, bullying Song around in the clinch and probably getting some opportunistic takedowns when, when he needs them. Give me uh, Max Griffin by decision in a fight that is fun, but definitely not your fight of the night. We move back to the men's bantamweight division for an interesting matchup between Adrian Yanez and Gustavo Lopez. Yanez, the 27-year-old Houstonian, is 12 and 3 overall. He is 1 and 0 in the UFC uh, since joining with a sensational performance on Dana White's Contender Series last August. Uh, there, he knocked out Brady Wong in just 39 seconds. His UFC debut on the Halloween Fight Night card featured a head kick knockout in the first round uh, over Victor Rodriguez. He'll be taking on uh, Lopez. The 31-year-old is 12-5 and five overall. He is 1-1 one and one in the UFC. He lost his debut to Marab Dwalishvili, getting soundly out-wrestled at UFC on ESPN I versus Calvillo in June. He came back from that to uh, choke out Anthony Burchak in the first round of their matchup at UFC on ESPN Santos versus Teixeira in November. Yanez is a comfortable favorite here. It's uh, out there minus 220, minus 225. Lopez is available at plus 180 as the underdog. Keith, who you got in this one and why? Uh, this is a good matchup. I don't know if it, it should be on the main card, um, but I think that has a lot to do with Giannis's performances on the contender series. Uh, he's a stalking counter-striker. He's very, very comfortable on his feet. He stays very relaxed, not a lot of tension in his arms, good vision, kind of sees everything coming at him, fast hands, nice snap on his punches, good timing uh, you know, on his opponent's attacks, does slip an attack and leave himself in position to counter with power shots, which I like to see. Uh, we've seen his crushing high kick recently. Uh, he does need to start checking leg kicks, and that would be a problem against Lopez. He's not a good wrestler. Uh, Miles Johns struggled to keep him down, though he is. A <coughs> Excuse me, I've said he's not a good wrestler, though Miles Johns did struggle to keep him down, and that's because he's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. He can, you know, look for submissions and stuff off his back. Move over to Lopez. Lopez is a decent striker. His left hook is his best strike. He's got some good power. Does mix in takedowns well. Though he was taken down <laughs> about a dozen times against uh, Marab, which, in fairness, everyone gets taken down a dozen times by Marab. He did do very well to get back up to feet, which is why Marab's takedown, you know, added a lot of it was Matt returns, which we've talked about a million times. Uh, he jumps on guillotines, which doesn't help his takedown offense, but he almost caught Marab with it in fairness. Uh, though he puts he puts himself in trouble by trying to chase it, he did have a pretty slick back take in his last fight against Anthony Burchak. Now, as far as the prediction goes, uh, this is a sneaky bout. Lopez is a solid grappler, though Marab 
you know, uh, took him down, but he had Rob in some scary moments. If he could turn this into a wrestling match, like he said in interviews, like, ready for cheap plug, Adrian Giannis mentioned to me in the newest episode of MMA Past, Present, and Future, which actually just went up while we were talking. Make sure you check that out. Also with, a, I believe, a really fun conversation I had with Sean Shirk and uh, fighting uh, this weekend for, all the way from Wales, Ben Ellis. So there you go. That's my cheap plug. Back to uh, this one. Uh, he can win. How He can win if he can turn into a wrestling match. However, I think it's going to remain a lot on the feet due to Giannis's um, footwork, his length, and uh, some of the scramble ability we've seen. If his does stay in the feet, I am really high on Giannis's striking. I think he pieces them up, and I actually think he finds a finish. So give me Giannis. I say he takes him out in the second round uh, by knockout. All right. I will just jump in on the cheap plug of the most recent episode of MMA Past, Present, and Future because I, as one of the Sherdog editors, I was the one who posted that overnight once it was filed, so I got to watch most of it just as I checked the timestamps. I thought the interview with uh, Sean Shirk was fantastic. Uh, for some reason, just because you, of sir. the person, well, just because of the persona that he gave off during his career, where he was he was not an exciting interview during his career, not terribly insightful, like he wouldn't let people in very much. Obviously, he very famously didn't watch MMA even during his career, still doesn't now. You got some very interesting stuff out of him, just how kind of frank he was about how and why he lost the BJ Penn fight, uh, you know, uh, about which of his fights. I know you asked him, like, was there anyone that you wanted to fight and never got a chance to? And he slightly misunderstood the question, but it became a great answer anyway, because he talked about which of his losses he'd like to get back and why, which was very interesting, I thought. Uh, really good stuff. Obviously, you know, Adrian Yanez, uh, a guy that I, I know a little bit just from seeing him around here around town. Uh, but yeah, r- really exciting stuff. Anyway, I like Yanez, uh, for all the reasons you mentioned, he is, I mean, he's already one of the better strikers at Bantamweight in the UFC. Early in his career, he was more of a straight boxer. He, his kicks have just gotten better and better. <clears throat> he, he's still not a, a guy that I trust to, uh, to sock away rounds if he's not finishing the fight. Like, if he's not able to knock the person out, I, I don't necessarily, like, trust him to to win rounds and to get a decision. He is definitely a finisher type of fighter. You know, you look at his losses. All of his losses are to good guys. They're all guys that are have either been in the UFC, are in the UFC, or their UFC level. It's, you know, it's Miles Johns, Domingo Pilarte, and Levi Mills. But in each of those fights, it's not that he was just completely outclassed. It's just that he has a game that's built to finish, not necessarily to, to win rounds, and and he can be taken advantage of on the ground. Having said that, I don't think Gustavo Lopez is the guy to do it. I think uh, Lopez is going to give Yanez exactly the kind of counter opportunities he wants. And I'm with you. Uh, I, I've got Yanez by second round knockout in this one. Next up, it is the very rare occasion of two debuting fighters debuting against one another this high on a UFC main card. In the women's strawweight division, it is Cheyenne Bays versus Montserrat Ruiz. Bays, the 25-year-old, is 5-1 and one overall. 
She is making her debut off of an impressive performance in taking a unanimous decision from Hillary Rose on Dana White's Contender Series last August. Ruiz, who is stepping in on relatively short notice, is 28 years old. The uh, Mexican is 9-1 overall. She fought most recently at Invicta uh, 41 last July, taking a first-round submission over Janeza Morandin, which allowed Ruiz to bounce back from the first loss of her career, which had been at uh, Invicta 33 all the way back in 2018, where she lost a unanimous decision to Danielle Taylor. Bays, one of the stronger favorites on the card. Uh, she is minus 355, Ruiz plus 295, uh, even up there at plus 300, it looks like. Well, I, I was going to just ask, you know, should she be a three and a half to one favorite? Uh, speaking, of course, of Cheyenne Bays. And do you think she's going to make good on that against the short notice opponent in Ruiz? Well, so there's a lot to unwrap this. So the first question is, should she be such a favorite? No, she absolutely should not be such a favorite. Um, I already picked her husband to win. I like Bays. I liked her on the contender series. Uh I mentioned, you know, she was she got one of the highest praise of mine. She did take on a New Englander and Hilly Rose, who is not a FC level fighter, uh, and she kind of styled on her. Uh, Bay's got good head movement with both her, uh, it's good movement in general with both her feet and her head. Like she use, moves her head good, but she also uh, circles well, uh, cuts angles well. She has fast hands. Her straight right hand is the best punch. Got a good check left hook. Good power. She's dropped many opponents. She has a she comes from a taekwondo background. You see a little bit of that in her the way she throws kicks. Uh, she'll even do like a traditional push kick or like that side push kick, so much of what Holly Holm likes to do. Uh, just good kicks everywhere. She will mix in wrestling, though she will set up her shots from too far away. She'll shoot too far away. Uh, but if she gets to like the body lock, she can get some body locks in there. She is a female, so of course she throws in the headlock throw, which I you know I hate. Um, She's hard to submit. Uh, Vanessa Demopoulos put her in a million submission tags. She kept finding a way out. And she can get some submissions off her back. The other thing that stands out to me when I watch a regional film study of her, of how insanely tough she is, she dislocated her fight, uh, dislocated her arm in one of the fights and continued to try to keep fighting on <laughs> with a dislocated arm, which was uh, she was trying to pull on her arm and <laughs> get it back in while she was fighting. Uh, move over to Ruiz. Ruiz only has one loss in her career, and it's to Daniel Taylor, which is not a bad loss. Her last fight, she just ran through and submitted uh, Janessa Morandin, who is not a bad fighter, someone who I thought would be in the UFC someday, though she's kind of went to 180 than what I originally thought she would be. But she's a, she's a southpaw. Ruiz, talking about Ruiz again, southpaw, fast hands, high output. She kind of fights and blitzes. She shows, like, Kind of stay on the outside and then suddenly just, you know, dive into the pocket and load a big combination. Though she does just winger punches. Like, it's, not, it's not the most technically sound strikes. She lacks head movement. She's going to hit a lot because of her aggressive style. If she can get, if she can close the distance, she likes upper body clinches. Uh, she throws a headlock throw in herself. Good ground and pound. She's got two submission wins off her record, but the most impressive is the way she. Submitted Miranda in her last fight. Got a key lock from the scarf choke. Uh, the kind of like you got the headlock and you reach your leg over and kind of extend it to almost like an armbar. 
I think uh, by so Bays. I apologize if I'm saying they're wrong. Bays is the better athlete. I think she can outwork her from distance while fighting off some takedown attempts. However, if Ruiz gets her down and submits her, I would not be shocked at all. I would say if I'm a betting man, like I'm betting the underdog, I'm not betting at all at all or anything. They call it the dog or pass. Give me buys by decision. So I say the you know uh Bays. I'm sorry, I know I'm saying the name wrong. Bays by decision. So we get back to back wins or two and oh for the family. But I don't think either fight they're both favorites. I don't think either fight's an easy fight. Like I would not be shocked if they go oh and two. I'm with you. Like, I'm surprised that Bays is, well, I take that back. I'm not surprised that Bays is as big of a favorite, but I'm not sure I necessarily agree with it. However, Danielle Taylor beat Ruiz, I think, by doing basically what what Bays is going to want to do. Just kind of sprawl and brawl, turn aside the takedown attempts, and just, you know, keep uh, chipping at her from range with uh, with kicks and punches. The question is whether I think she can pull that off. I do think she can. I think this might be a fight like the Taylor fight where Ruiz is trying and trying to get it to the ground and just she's able to eventually, but by then it is too late. Baze has already socked away the first two rounds because Baze is going to be bigger than Ruiz. She, she's a good athlete anyway. Like she's, she's strong, she's quick, she's fluid, but Ruiz just feels undersized for strawweight. She's kind of stuck because she feels undersized when she fights strawweights, but she doesn't look like she can necessarily make Adam weight. That I mean, that's just a, a bad look. But yeah, I, I don't know if she should be a minus three fifty favorite, but I, I definitely favor Bays to win. Give me uh Bays by unanimous decision. With that, we come to the co-main event of UFC Vegas twenty-two, a lightweight matchup between two pretty standout prospects in well, well I'll get to that in a moment, but uh between Gregor Gillespie and Brad Riddell. Gillespie, who, as we mentioned off the top, I believe turns 34 today, is 13 and one in his mixed martial arts career. He is six and one in the UFC, uh, having debuted in the promotion with six straight wins, the last five of them by finish, before picking up his first defeat in a crushing head kick knockout loss to Kevin Lee back at UFC 244, all the way back in November of 2019. He faces Riddell, the 29-year-old New Zealander, is 9-1 and overall. He is a perfect 3-0 and in the UFC. He fought twice last year. He beat uh, Alex Da Silva by unanimous decision at UFC 253. Before that, he beat Magomed Mustafaev by split decision at UFC Fight Night Felder versus Hooker in February. Odds definitely favor the American. He is uh, minus 245. Riddell is plus 205 as the underdog. It's an interesting case for Gillespie, Keith, because uh, Gillespie is someone, he came into the UFC as a highly touted prospect. You know, he was a former NCAA Division I wrestling champ at, uh, I believe, 149 pounds. He came to the UFC uh, 7-0, won his first six fights in a row, last five by finish, a lot of them like very violent finishes. And he was the rare fighter who kind of crept into the bottom of the Sherdog lightweight rankings, despite not having any top 15 wins to his credit. And to pull the curtain back a little bit on the entire rankings panel, you were the person who was most against having him ranked. And that's not because you 
just like Gillespie. There's like their other fighters you thought had shown more. And at least in the Lee fight, you showed, okay, here was his first shot at a top 10 fighter and it went badly, badly, not his way and showed that, you know, there are some holes he needs to shore up. It's, it's interesting. It, it, I, I even made the mistake. I called it a prospect fight, even though Gillespie turns 34 today, he is a guy with the upside, the promise of a prospect, but he has uh, the time frame of a veteran in which to really get anything done with it. You know, not everybody can be Leonardo Santos and still be hanging around winning fights when they're 41. Before I, I mean, I'm going to ask you for your prediction on the fight, but where do you sit as far as uh, Gillespie's ceiling? Obviously, some of it will depend on whether he wins this weekend. But, you know, do you see top 10 potential in him? Do you, I mean, it's hard to say you see title run in anybody at lightweight just because it's such a crowded division. But, you know, tell me what you see when you see Gillespie and tell me if you think the odds makers are sleeping on Riddell a little bit here. Uh, so two questions. I'll answer those before I break down the fighters. So Gillespie, yeah. I mean, do I see a top 10 guy? Yeah. So when I was, when I was arguing for him to be out of the rankings, it wasn't a te- in, a, in the sense of a talent, it, you know, that I don't think he was talented enough. It was just simply that I didn't think his, you know, we, we rank based on criteria. Like you're the people you beat, you know, who, you know, based on basically who have you beaten deserve this. And I don't think he, you know, his best win was probably Yancey Medeiros or someone like that. I don't think that was top 10, especially in that division. So he definitely has it. His age is definitely concerning, though. I mean, when you have a such a good division, I would have liked him to be like 28, 29, not 34. Uh, should Is the Ozmaker betting, uh, you know, going against Riddell and, and overlooking him? Absolutely. To me, this is one of the hardest fights to pick on the entire card. Riddell's good, like really good. Uh, so, so far as their styles, Gillespie's undersized. That's the first thing we talk about with him. We've talked about he probably should be a featherweight. He's not that big of a guy. Uh, he does land punches on the feet, though I'm not. I, I think his boxing needs some improvement, though it's not that bad. But he lands a lot of punches because his opponents drop their hand because they're so worried about his wrestling. Uh, his jab is busy. It's effective. He has shown some KO power. I was there in attendance when he knocked out Andrew Holbrook cold. He telegraphs his power punches a little bit. Um, so that's that's obviously uh, worrisome. He doesn't move his head. He kind of stands up a little too tall. His chin is high. I'm I'm not really worried about his chin after that brutal knockout uh, from Kevin Lee. In his last fight, I'm more about the psyche of him. If he's, is he going to be gun shy? Is he going to be scared to step in the pocket and unload? Well, if that if that limits him strictly to a wrestler, uh, that's never a good thing. But if you are going to be limited to a wrestler, beat Gregor Gillespie. This is a guy's a Division One NCAA champion. Uh, that is no small task. The NCAA's wrestling championship is going on right now as we as we're talking this weekend. There will be a whole lot of extremely high-level wrestlers that will compete in that tournament. But only, was it 10? I think 10 weight classes now that, that will win. There will be 10 champions. There will be a whole bunch of guys that get, go home heartbroken who will never win the NCAAs. That's not the case with Gregor Gillespie. He has smothering top control. DC, going back to the Yancey Medeiros fight, DC was going crazy about how good 
his top control is back when he was wrestling also in MMA. And he, he like he has a classic wrestler type submissions. Like he'll look for a head and arm triangle. Now move over to Riddell. Riddell's well rounded. He's a great athlete. He's a good striker. He fights behind a high guard. He has a lot of variety of strikes. He's got a lot of weapons that he can hurt you with. Good jab, clean right hand. He throws combinations. Good tight pocket boxing. He's I said this last time when he fought Alex De Silva. I'm most impressed with his counter striking. Not necessarily his punches, but his mentality and his counter striking. He'll just plan his feet and be like, "I'm not going to back up. I'm going to stand here. I'm going to time your coming in, and you're not going to back me up." And I'm really impressed with that. Uh, step in elbows, something he'll look for if you get in close to him. Calf kicks. He's a good grappler. He can get a takedown himself. He will shoot a little too far without setting up. I don't think he'll take down Gregor Gillespie. But he's good in scrambles. We saw that against Mustayev. That's a perfect example. Though he did get taken down by Alex Da Silva in their fight in the first round, I think it was a little bit more of just a perfectly timed takedown where Riddell wasn't expecting it. That won't be the case against Greg Gosby. That's going to obviously be in the back of his mind. He also when got up, you know, he worked his way to his feet, and he had good cardio. Like that was a close fight going in the third round, and he pressed hard. I love this fight from a talent sense. It's going to answer a, a lot of questions about both guys. Uh, the winner of this one, uh, I'll be probably jumping on the on the bandwagon. I'm not going to be arguing for Gillespie to be in our rankings after this one. But that said, I don't really want to see anybody lose. And I really think it this wasn't the matchup that they should have gave Gillespie after his first loss. Like I think he should have got a little bit more of a softball. I really, really wanted to take Riddell. I thought I was going to, too. And if he, like I said, if he wins, I'm jumping on Riddell's bandwagon hard. Uh, but there might not be much room for me. Unfortunately, while he's so good, his takedown defense isn't perfect. If it, and I know this this is like such a crazy thing to say, but like one takedown from Alex Da Silva made me go with Gregor Gillespie. Like, I was taking Riddell until I saw that takedown. I just expect Gillespie to get two takedowns. And if he gets two takedowns, that could be the difference. I think we're going to have some really fun scrambles. I think this fight could be so close. I think there'll be a lot of debates again. This is my fight of the night. Give me Gregor Gillespie by split decision. Excellent. My pick here is going... It's dependent on Gillespie looking at least as good as he did up to and including the Lee fight. There's, I mean, there's, there's no saying what's going to happen, you know, with a guy that's been over, been off for like 15, 16 months due, you know, in part to injury is 34 years old. Like you never know what you're going to get, but assuming that he is still the Gregor Gillespie that, you know, ripped through his first six fights in the UFC. I do have him in this fight. Uh, it's it's interesting. I, I analyzed and overanalyzed and overthought that Alex De Silva takedown on Bridell in the first round of their fight as well in thinking about this. It's a whole different dynamic, of course. Bridell, like you said, is going to be much more aware of uh, the takedown, much more, be expecting it much more. But... I'm I'm with you. I think Gillespie will be able to get him down. And I I don't even know 
how confident I am that like Riddell's going to not just be able to get back up, but even survive down there in the second or third round. Uh, you know, you look at Gillespie, he's got a lot of arm triangle choke submissions on his record. The arm triangle choke is of course, you know, it's a very heavyweight submission. It's also a very wrestlery submission, you know, just, it, it's one that feels very natural to an elite wrestler. Uh, I think I, I think Gillespie's going to submit him. I think like give me give me Gregor Gillespie in you know a very very good fight by third round arm triangle choke and we'll be back to arguing, you know, over whether he belongs in in the top 15 or not. Just I I saw what Kevin Lee did to him, but Unless, like you say, it's broken his psyche and just makes him completely gun shy, that's not something that Brad Riddell is going to is going to duplicate on him. It's time for our main event. Up to five rounds of middleweight action between the veteran longtime contender Derek Brunson and the red hot Kevin Holland. Brunson, the 37-year-old North Carolinian, is 21 and 7 overall. He is 12 and 5 in the UFC. He is on a three-fight winning streak, having beaten Elias Theodoro by decision back in May of 2019, Ian Heinish by decision at UFC 241 in August of 2019, and in his uh, lone fight of 2020, he knocked out and exhausted Edmund Shabazian early in the third round of their matchup in the headlining fight of UFC Fight Night 173 in August. Standing across the octagon from him will be Sherdog's 2020 Breakthrough Fighter of the Year, Kevin Holland. The 28-year-old Texan is 21 and 5 overall. He is 8 and 2 in the UFC. He is on a five-fight win streak, all five of which took place in the last about seven and a half months of 2020. The victims on that stretch, Anthony Hernandez, whom he knocked out in just 39 seconds at UFC on ESPN 8 in May. Joaquin Buckley, whom he knocked out in the third round of their matchup at UFC Fight Night Lewis versus Olenek in August. Darren Stewart, whom he defeated by split decision at UFC Fight Night 178 in September. On a quick turnaround, and against a short-notice opponent in Charlie Ontiveros, he injured him into submitting with a slam in the first round. And then to top it off in December, knocked out Ronaldo Jacare Souza with punches from the seat of his pants at UFC 256. Perhaps reflecting uh, just how impressive that streak has been, Holland is the favorite in this fight, and the odds this week are creeping ever uh, further in his favor. Right now, as of uh, Thursday evening, he is minus 175, where you can get Brunson at uh, plus 158, it looks like, is the best available odds on him. Keith, who do you have in this one? And assuming there's no weird controversy, there's not a disqualification for the third week in a row... How close is the winner of this fight to a middleweight title shot? I mean, a lot of this has to do with what Adesanya wants to do. They're a lot closer now with Jan Rohovic winning. Um, 
but I mean, I was not just talking about Darren Till and maybe Vittori. Uh, I could see Holland if he gets a win being close because he hasn't faced Adesanya. He did call him out and some kind of weird backstory about them having issues backstage. So that one does, but Brunson, I still would be one or two more wins away because we saw Brunson get absolutely smashed by Adesanya. Now, I'm assuming you want me to start breaking this fight down? Absolutely, please. All right. Um, it's weird. Like it's a, This is the main event, and I don't care that much about this matchup. And I think it's just simply, like, I feel like I've... Derek Brunson is what he is at this point. Uh, he's he's a southpaw. I will say this. In his last fight, it, and this stands out more than anything, I was very surprised how composed he was against Admin Shabazian because that is the 180 narrative opposite of Derek Brunson. He's usually a wild man. That wasn't the case against Shabazian. Uh, he is an unorthodox, bit of like kind of backwards style fighter. He's flat-footed. He drops his hands, wings wild punches, throws from his hips, can often overthrow. I mean, look at the Robert Whitaker fight. He was like almost knocking himself over, throwing punches. He'll throw same-side attacks, which I kind of like because it's so unorthodox. And what I mean by that is, like for example, he'll throw a, like, a left kick followed by a left hand. Like in a combination, like on the same, like the two punches on the same side is just just weird thing to see. But he does it a lot. Uh, I mentioned left side. That's because Derek Brunson's left hand happy. He wings his overhand left, always constantly looking for that knockout. He can be backed up with pressure, and he definitely doesn't like fighting off of pressure. Uh, Edmund Shabazian did have some early success kicking Brunson's body. Brunson has added a lot more kicks to his game. He's a good grinding in close quarters fighter. Dirty boxing is something he's good at. He's good at just pushing you against fence, using his like he's a physically strong guy. You see him like he's he's a big muscular middleweight. He'll grind you against the fence. Get some I would say good, not great wrestling, even though he comes from a wrestling background. But he'll 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 reach it kind of like almost like Michael Chiesa style where he doesn't really shoot, he'll just reach on a single leg and get it. And he's also good at striking when you when you want to wrestle. And then when you start thinking about his striking, he then he'll come in for an entry on his wrestling. Uh, on top, he's he's not really much of a submissions right. He looks for ground and pound. Now move over to Kevin Holland. He's a long and lengthy guy. Pretty elusive. He's got some good movement. He, he does also throw from his hips a little bit. But it's more of a Trevin Giles style where it's coming from different angles than it is unorthodox, like little up jabs and stuff like that. He's very relaxed for a young fighter. I've noticed that. He doesn't really panic. He's developing some power. Nice snap. I mean, he's got good accuracy. He does well on the outside or all the way in the mid range is not a strength, but that's not a strength for Brunson either. So that's not a bad thing. He kind of lulls a little bit and then explodes with stuff. Similar to what we talked about, uh, Ruiz on the card where he'll lull and then kind of explode to the pocket and land shots. Looks for push kicks from range. 
does he does well to not get caught clean, something similar to what Anderson Silva does, rolls a lot, a lot of shoulder rolls, something you see a lot of boxers do, not necessarily MMA fighters. Uh, it's good when he's rolling. It's not good when he's pulling back. He has been caught pulling his head straight back. Uh, I mentioned this last time we talked about him, and we break down Kevin Holland a lot because he fights all the time. He covers distance so quick because of his length that he can be on the outside and then suddenly on the inside with one step. Uh, he he's he's a clinch fighter, but he 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 clinch fights weird. Like he'll I shouldn't say weird, but it's it's effective, but it's just different. It's not he's not going to pull your head down and uppercut you. He'll more let you get double underhooks and then he'll two hand palm slap your ears, which which is extremely painful. Uh, knees in the clinch, he'll look for his short knees uh, when he when he frames. Will go for a takedown, though he is by no is similar to Max Griffin by no means is he a powerful wrestler. Uh, though I've seen some improvement, at, you know he, he got taken down by Brandon Allen and kind of rolled, but in other fights he showed some improvement in his in his defensive wrestling and he is a submission threat. As far as the fight goes, this is very close. It could go either way. I I like I think Brunson will have more success early, and if he doesn't mentally break Holland like he did Shabazian, then Holland should, I think, can have some success late. I think Brunson can grind, grind him in the clinch. That might be his best position. I think it's going to be close, but at this point in their careers, I've kind of over Brunson. I I would not be surprised if he wins at all, but I'm a little more excited in Holland, and he just seems like he's on his way up well, the mountain while Brunson is he's is on his way down slowly. He's you know he's getting pulled down. He's 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 kind of fighting himself a little bit. He's not he's not going willingly, but he's definitely going down. So uh, give me give me a Holland in a close decision, not the fight that gets to him. You know everyone gets super excited to see him next though. Like this might be the one that might it, it'll be the biggest name on his on his resume. But it won't be the performance that really gets him over the lake, like Vittori did against Jack Hermanson. Like I don't expect that. But give me, uh, give me Holland. Yeah, I I like what you said about Holland that he has a certain calm and composure. He doesn't panic. There is no greater definition of doesn't panic than Jacare is kneeling over you in your guard and you laugh and say, "I had a dream about this," and then knock him out five seconds later. I mean, yeah, he has just this ridiculous amount of confidence in himself. I, I say ridiculous. I don't mean it's literally ridiculous because it is a confidence born of demonstrated ability. He was on a four fight winning streak that he just extended to five. I do think Holland is going to make Brunson uncomfortable on the feet for as long as they're striking at distance. I, I just have the feeling that Brunson for a guy who is as much of a veteran as he is and has much success as he's had striking against some very good strikers it's it's possible for him to just look super out of sorts on the feet. And I don't know quite how to describe it other than the the, the Elias Theodore fight, which was just an absolutely miserable fight. And you know that's what you're going to get with Theodoro, but just it completely stymied Brunson from getting off any offense of his own. And Holland, I think, will be able to do that kind of thing to Brunson, only with a little more punishment, a little more zing on it. I do agree that Brunson's best chance for 
uh, offensive success on the, on the feet will be in the clinch. Just the question will be, can he, can he force the clinch? Can he force the clinch in the, like, the places and situations he wants? I, I suspect he might be able to. I, I just don't know if, if that's going to be enough to win him rounds, let alone, you know, finish Hollander, put him in serious trouble. Uh, I also do agree with you that this probably won't be a sensational performance by Holland that has us all buzzing. But I, I do expect Holland to win a decision in this fight and probably for both guys to go back to the drawing board afterwards and be frustrated with their performances. Brunson, because, man, I didn't pull the trigger at all until, like, the fourth round when I started, like, desperately going for takedowns. And Holland, just because, like, I should have styled on this guy and instead it just turned into kind of a grindy fight. But, yeah, I, I give me Holland to survive and advance, you know, by decision. And I'm with you in that the the title implications are greater for Holland here just because Brunson will have to prove so much to really get to the front of the line there as long as Adesanya is still in the division. And that's it. All 12 fights from UFC on ESPN 21, Brunson versus Holland, broken down by Keith and by yours truly. Enjoy the fights this weekend. Be sure to come to the SureDog front page or the SureDog uh, YouTube page to join Keith and me for the uh, live recap immediately after the main event. We will be taking your questions and uh, comments. If we got a bunch of these fights wrong, we will happily take your abuse. Happy birthday, Gregor Gillespie, and thank all of you for listening.